Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. God, we are here this morning, and we, we came to meet with you not just to sing songs, not just to hear a talk, not just to check our kids in. We came to meet with you. We came to hear from you. And so for the next 30 minutes, Father, would you help me to get out of the way and lift up Christ? And God, if we do that, we will all be changed. And so that's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here at Three Creeks, and if you, uh, if you are newer with us, I just want to extend a welcome especially to you. We're really grateful that you came here, and I, I say this often, and it's true every week, you could pretty much be anywhere in the world, and you've chosen to be in Gehanna Middle School West at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and so for that, I'm grateful, and I'm expectant that God's going to do something in your life as he has done through in, in mine as I've, I've prepared a little bit of what... I'm going to share today. I, uh, I just want to just acknowledge that last weekend was uh, just splendid. I don't know. I just couldn't think of a better word. Splendid is what came to mind. And it really was just a, such a special weekend. For those of you that got to come to Good Friday, it was a unique and special and Christ-exalting time. I got a I had a friend who invited a friend and showed me this text message that they got after the service was over. Uh, this person, it was their first time ever being with Three Creeks. They said, tonight was the first time in months, if not a year, where I wasn't feeling the physical effects of anxiety, which is huge, especially since I was in a new and unfamiliar place. I've never been to church on Good Friday before. So thank you for inviting us to your church. I needed it more than I realized. And I'm just praising God for that today. And then on Easter, as Morgan mentioned, 336 people came here and heard that if the resurrection didn't happen, well, then we're all wasting our time. But if it did, then it changes everything for everybody. I had a chance to talk to somebody in the courtyard after church uh, who, and I, he's been around for like a year or so. And so I said, hey, man, it's been a year. How's that feel? You've just, you know, this isn't, you're not a new guy anymore. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, when somebody invited us a year ago, we just came, we hoped to slip in and slip out and make that person happy. And he said, I've never heard the Bible apply so much to my life. I've never met a church of genuine people that actually cared about who I am. I, I never used to be religious. I was kind of out on God, but this church, me meeting God here has changed my life. He said, I know I don't come every single week, but every single week, if I miss, I listen to the podcast on Monday because God is changing my life. And I'm just, I'm just praising God for that. I had another conversation after church. Somebody uh, wants to sign up to be baptized soon here at Three Creeks, which highlights the fact that we're going to have a baptism service here coming up soon. And so if that is something that's kind of been brewing in you, now is the time to say something. Uh, and we'll get you all signed up and walk you through that 
And, uh, and then maybe uh, I'm celebrating all that. And then I'm really celebrating this. Last Sunday night, I went home. I've got three kids, Cooper, Judah, Willow, six, four, and two. And I had that little card that was given to each of the parents after church last weekend. The Easter, talk your kids through the gospel, ask some questions card. And I was sitting there after dinner and I said, Cooper, Judah, following Jesus is as easy as... And they both said, ABC. And I don't, I don't really know if they knew what it meant, but they knew that line at least. And, and I walked them through admitting, A, admitting that we need a Savior. B, believing in Jesus. C, committing to follow him. And so we, we talked about that. And then on the back side, <laughs> there were some questions. And one of the questions was, uh, have you ever done anything wrong? And, you know, it's supposed to highlight the fact that we're all, you know, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and I said, you guys ever done anything wrong? And, and they know the answer to this question because uh, I've caught them so many times. And they, they just nod, yes, you know. And I said, uh, I said, you know, how about this question? Do you guys ever want to do things that God doesn't want you to do? And they're kind of like, I think the answer to this one is yes. So they both nod yes. And I said, Judah, uh, give me an example, buddy. What's something that you want to do that God doesn't want you to do? And my four-year-old boy, he's like, his goat, he just starts looking around the room trying to find something that'll jog his memory about something he wants to do. And he looks out the window and he goes, ah, yeah, I sometimes want to plant a tree. And I made eye contact with Cooper, and she was like, is that a real answer? Like, is that really wrong? And we're like, who is this kid? And I said, I said, Judah, do you really think that's wrong, buddy? He said, well, it gets so big and probably fall on people. I said, yeah, that's probably sin, you know? And I'm raising a psychopath. And then uh, <laughs> Cooper, a little bit later in the conversation, said, Dad, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I said, what's that, Cooper? And she said, I want to go to a different, uh, she goes, is it city or state? I said, I don't know. Keep going. She goes, oh, no, no, it's country. I want to go to a different country and find people that don't know who Jesus is and tell them about Jesus. You know, and I said, can I go with you? And she said, yes. So I'm currently giving my 12-year notice that I'm out. When Cooper turns 18, we're going somewhere else. I just, I, I just feel overwhelmingly blessed to get to pastor a church where anxiety is fleeing out of people's lives, where God is changing people's lives, where people are being baptized, where my children are being raised to love Jesus and know what he did for them. I'm just, I'm just kind of flying high. I'm riding that high, and, and I'm grateful uh, to get to be here as a dad and here as a husband, and here as a friend, and, and then also here as your pastor. So thanks for letting me do this. We took a two-week break from our series in Ephesians. If you've just started to come to Three Creeks, let me catch you up. First Sunday of the year when we gathered, we opened up our Bibles, and we went to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and we've just kind of been making our way through for, I guess, I don't know, 10 or 11 weeks so far. I talked to a few people this week, and they asked me, are we jumping back into Ephesians? And I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're jumping back in. There's, there's still quite a ways to go. It's important for all of us, even if you've been here the whole time, 
to never forget the context of what we're going through. We, we have to continually remind ourselves of the answers to these questions. Who wrote Ephesians? Why did he write Ephesians? When did he write Ephesians? What was happening in the church at Ephesus where all the Ephesians, the Ephesians were at? If we forget the answers to those questions, well, then we can kind of, we can make this say whatever we want it to say. And so we've got to really remember exactly what was happening. Paul, a first century Christian missionary, went with his friends to a city called Ephesus and they planted a church, just like Contrast went to Grandview. They planted a church. Paul was their pastor for three years and then he left. He, he kept on going and he's arrested. He's taken to Rome. He's put under house arrest. He writes letters to his old friends. One of them, one group of his old friends was this little group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. And Paul wrote him a letter and we have it as the book of Ephesians. Remember a couple things about this church and about this city. It was a young church, just like us. They were in a really important and influential city just like us. They met in a school, just like us. They were being pressured on all sides to conform and give in and, and give up ground and move on what was true, just like us. And they too, just like us, needed to mature and grow in their faith so that they were going to be able to handle everything that was coming their way. And so that's why it's perfect for us to get to go through Ephesians, a theologically dense and yet, remarkably practical book at the same time. One final reminder before I jump into today's passage. Do you remember the difference between the first three chapters and the second three chapters? Ephesians 1, 2, 3. Ephesians 4, 5, 6. Do you remember the, the major difference? In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, it is the story about what God has done for us in sending Jesus. There are no commands written in Ephesians 1, 2, or 3. There's a suggestion where Paul says, hey, remember this, but there, there really is nothing that Paul commands the Christians to do. It's three chapters of the gospel story, the good news for us done by God. And then there's a line drawn in the sand, and 4, 5, 6 is packed full of commands, ways in which the Christian is supposed to live their lives, the difference that Jesus makes. And remember this, the, the, do you remember why the order is so important? Because if we, if we flip the order, then what we do is we fall into this works-based salvation stuff that isn't true or biblical, where all of a sudden we think we've got to do all the commands and then God will do something for us. Remember, friends, that spiritual maturity always starts with a realization that this thing doesn't depend on how good we do for God but how good God did for us. So we've got to remember that. Ephesians 1, 2, 3 is the foundation. Ephesians 4, 5, 6 is the application. Ephesians 1, 2, 3 is the gospel story. And Ephesians 4, 5, 6 is our story in light of the gospel story. We cannot earn salvation in 1, 2, and 3, but we can show it off. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. I need reminded of that from time to time, and I'm convinced that everybody should. So I'll keep harping on it a little bit here and there. Ephesians 4, 
17 through 23. That's the plan today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them on, open them up. We'll throw the verses on the screen for those of you who don't have a Bible with you. And if you don't own a Bible, we've got a table of them. I can actually see them right there. And on your way out today, snag one, write your name on it in a permanent marker because it's yours forever and you can bring it back every week. So Ephesians 4, 17 through 23, seven verses today. I'm just going to read them all and then we're going to go back through. I'm going to break it down for you. Verse 17, Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And then he he changes his tone here halfway through. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So so we essentially have two parts to look at today. Verse 17, 18, and 19 describes the world and the nature that we're all born into. I'll I'll try to break that down for you here in a second. And verses 20 through 23 talk about the life and the maturity Christ wants us to grow into. So let's look at verse 17 through 19 again. Paul writes to the Christians, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't something to consider. I insist on it. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Paul insists that for every person who has become a Christian, change is required. It's not an option. It's it's not something that we ought to go, ah, let's kind of pick and choose what we want to follow and what we want to do. But no, change is required. If you have new life in Jesus, then there's a new lifestyle in Jesus that follows that. And then he goes on to describe a godless way of living. He says the Gentiles, and and by the way too, when he says Gentiles there, he's just referring to a a godless people. Anyone who is far from God, who hasn't turned to Christ, somebody who isn't in the family of God. And then he describes their thinking. He says the Gentiles are stuck in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the the life of God. They're ignorant. They have hard hearts. They've lost sensitivity. They've given themselves over as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Now, it's obvious, but it's worth saying, a godless person doesn't know or acknowledge God, the reality of God. And this passage proves that knowing God having a relationship with God is not something that you can intellectually ascend to. You can't study 
and just study and study and learn your way into it. it there's an experience that a, some, that a person has to have where they're taken from death to life. You can't just learn about it. Because some people, far more intelligent than me, that doesn't surprise you, those of you that know me, some people far more intelligent than me, an oceanographer who has spent their life studying the oceans of the world, they can look at an ocean and they can say, what an ocean. But I can't look at an ocean without saying, what a God. What a God that made this from nothing. There are brilliant doctors all over the face of the earth that can look at an ultrasound and they go, science is amazing. And, and they're so much smarter than me. But I cannot look at an ultrasound without looking at it and seeing a little heart begin to beat and go, God is amazing. No person can do that. No person can make a heart beat from nothing. God is amazing. So what's the difference? They're all smarter than me. They have much higher IQs than me. So what's the difference? My eyes, by the grace of God, have been opened to, to be able to see God everywhere. And I, and I look around at creation, and I, I just, in Romans 1 talks about it, I can just, just see him everywhere. And, and a person who doesn't believe in God, acknowledge God, believe that God is real, they can be far more intelligent and yet still have their understanding darkened. They can be ignorant. Their, their thinking can be futile. And it's because their hearts are hard and they're ignorant because of sin. And, and, and we're all born that way. And so it's not, I'm not throwing shade. I'm, I'm not saying, well, can you believe these dumb people can't acknowledge that this is God? No way. I can't, I can't look at anybody and go, can you believe that? Believe it. Because that's me without Christ. That's me without God opening up my eyes. And if you're a Christian, God has opened up your eyes in the same way. That's why there's no room for snobby Christians. There's not a place for a snobby Christian that looks down and goes, can you believe that? Believe it. That's you without Christ. And without the acknowledgement of God, a big G God, well then, by nature, we all just go around chasing little G gods. Something else to try to fill that craving. That, that one line at the end, full of greed. When, when we see that, we immediately think, oh, that's got to be about money. That, that one's not. This is the Greek word pleonexia. Pleonexia is the Greek word that encompasses more than that. It describes the heart of a godless person. It describes a heart that just always is craving more of something. It doesn't have to be money. A godless person always craves more of something. They have an appetite for more. It's never curbed by what the world offers, no matter how much a person gets. And, and I, I liken it to somebody being on a raft in the middle of the ocean and being so thirsty, you want to be rescued, but there's no helicopter or boat in sight, and you're so thirsty, and you look out at that water and you go, oh man, that is going to quench my thirst. But you and I both know that that is actually what's going to kill you. 
That's going to make you even thirstier. That describes the heart of a godless person who's constantly craving more so that they'll be fulfilled or they'll be happy. A godless world incessantly informs us that we need more of something. A godless world tells us that we won't be happy until we get something. Everybody gets to kind of fill in their own blank. Because even if you're a Christian, we're we're on a journey of shedding some of this pleonexia. We were all born with a disease called pleonexia. This, This desire, this inside craving to want more of something. And you get to fill in your own blank. It might be money. It might be achievement. It might be wine. It might be vacations, a place to live. It might be kids. It might be security. It might be the approval of other people. It might be weight loss, it might be marriage, it might be food. Whatever it is, we all have this natural desire. We're born with pleonexia, full of it. And keep in mind that these are not bad things. Everything I just listed, none of them are bad. But if all of a sudden we need that in order to be happy, when we don't have that, we're devastated or we're just full of despair and we just feel like we lose our sense of joy or sense of value because we don't have enough of that. Well, then that is living like the Gentiles do. That is living like a godless person lives. We're all in the process of kind of kicking this disease. But if we go back to this feeling of like, I'll never be happy unless I have that and it's other than God, then then that's what Paul describes as living as the Gentiles do. So then Paul describes what happens, the switch. What happens In verse 20, 21, 22, 23, what happens in the life of a Christian? Paul says, that, however, is not the life that you learned. The greedy rat race is not the life that you have learned about. That's not what your eyes have been opened to. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him and according with the truth that is in Jesus. Think about this. Paul had been their pastor for three years. So this is not the first time that Paul's talking about pleonexia. It's not the first time Paul's going to talk about alcohol or money or anger or the words that they're using. Paul's been preaching this to them for years. But it serves as a reminder that this is, remember, this is not the life that I taught you about. And then he kind of, he paints this picture. See if you can pick out the picture that Paul paints. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I I shared this uh, this picture a couple weeks ago, and I had a follow-up conversation that made it a lot better. I wish I had thought about it then, but I guess I get to share it now. I painted this picture that it's almost as if before Christ, we were all in a dark, cold prison cell, big, rusty chains, a big, rusty lock. You almost wonder if the thing will even open, kind of sealing the door shut, and you're stuck in there before Christ. And it's almost as if Jesus Christ himself through his life, death, and resurrection came in there and punched the demon guard in the throat and knead him in the stomach. And the demon guard went whimpering away, and Jesus had the keys, and he, 
he opens up the lock and he brings open, he busts open the chain and he puts his arm around you and he walks you out of that prison. And I explained that in this world, from time to time, we might be tempted to, we might even wander back into that dark, cold prison cell, something we're used to. We might wander back in there, but Jesus Christ in his infinite grace will just kind of walk back in there and patiently put his arm around us again and walk us back out again. I, I, I tried to paint this picture of being in a prison and, and being let out by Christ over and over and over. And then I, I, I talked to Jeff about this, I don't know, a couple days later and then again this week. And Jeff said something that I think is true. He said, the thing about that prison cell it doesn't look like a prison cell. Satan dresses it up to look like a resort hotel so that you don't want to leave. He, he even, he texted me this this week. He said, Satan didn't design a prison cell that we would want to break out of or leave. He designed the prison cell to be a place that we're comfortable, self-focused and distracted and have no desire to leave. He said, it has lots of mirrors in it. And when, when Paul writes this to the Ephesians, listen, when Paul writes this to the Ephesians, he has this picture in his mind. I, w- I wonder if you saw the, the contrast between the old self and the new self. He has this picture of an old person in old clothes and a new person in new clothes. And he contrasts the two with one another. And he's telling the Ephesians, if you're in Christ, you are no longer the old man in the old clothes. You're no longer the old woman in the old clothes. And, and what, I can't, what I can't get out of my mind is this picture of people in orange jumpsuits with numbers across their chest. Prisoners born in dark cells. And Christ has come in and he has ripped open the, the chains and he has walked us out. And, and what Paul's writing to the Ephesians is that as soon as you get out, you get to shed your prison garb. You get, to, you get to take off the old clothes and you get to have a brand new set of clothes to go on in your life. But I talk to Christians, I talk to people who have met Christ who are still wearing orange jumpsuits, who are still stuck in the same stuff, who are still feeling overwhelming shame for things that have happened in the past, proverbially still wearing the orange jumpsuits. And Paul's saying to them, no, 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 friends. You have been let out of the prison. So take off the orange jumpsuit, put on the new clothes. You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Amazing theologian, pastor, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, in Christ, we no longer have to wear the old rotten garment that you could not bear to wear. It's not something that we have to bear to wear anymore because of Christ. And the evidence of a conversion to Christ is life change. I said this earlier. I, it's worth repeating. If, if you're saying I have new life in Christ, well, then that means that I would have a new lifestyle through Christ. Paul, as soon as he finishes this sentence, talking about old self, new self, new life in Christ, Jesus makes a difference. As soon as he finishes this, he is going to get into some specifics he is going to start picking at individual things, topics that these Ephesians apparently are struggling with. Specific topics that are remarkably applicable today. I've mentioned a couple of them, but 
Paul's going to talk about alcohol, about sexual immorality, about anger, about foul language, or as my kids like to call them, potty words, about greed. And Paul's going to try to explain to these Ephesians that there is a, there is a noticeable and significant difference between somebody who is a Gentile living a godless life, an old man, there's a, there's a big gap in these things for the new man, for the new woman with the new clothes. It's not wearing a jumpsuit anymore. There's, there's going to be a, a noticeable gap between these two. No, no question, clear evidence, change has occurred in this person. And I just got to tell you, it is going to require every one of us. If you're going to come to any of the next five weeks in this series, it is going to require every one of us to change. It is. And you might be tempted because I have over the next couple of weeks to get a little defensive, to defend your habits, your, your, how you've done things. You're, you're going to be tempted at a couple different times to dig in your heels and say, no, no, no. Don't change that. And, and the only reason I'm telling you that is because I've already felt that way as I've studied it. God, don't. And I just try to begin to try to reason my way out of following the Bible. There will be times that over the next few weeks when we're confronted with our lives, our habits, the way we do things, the way that we've always done things. And we're going to have to say this requires me to change. Why is it that we're going to dig our heels in? Why are we going to get defensive? Why are we going to say, no, let's interpret that differently? Why is that? It's because that prison cell looks good. It's because there's mirrors in it. It's because it looks like a hotel. That salt water looks tasty. It looks good. That is why those of us, all of us, who have that, some of that pleonexia, that few, that it's, we just want to go back in. Here's some questions that we're going to be inclined to ask. Why do I have to change the, the way or the places that I drink? Why do I have to change the words that I use and the jokes that I tell? Why do I have to change my budget and give more money to God's work? Why do I have to change? And the answer is simple. Because you're a Christian. Because you're new. You don't wear the old clothes anymore. You, you've been given new clothes. You've been given life, life in Christ and therefore a lifestyle will follow that. See, when Paul writes this to the Ephesians, this is why the context is so important. Hear me out. This is why the context is so important. Paul is not giving a series of ethical commands to be followed by the Gentiles. He is urging believers to become in practice what they are in Christ. I, uh, I have been, <laughs> sounds a little self-centered. I've been listening to some of my old podcasts uh, <laughs> from years ago and messages at Three Creeks, messages at a couple other places. And I, I've been kind of, I've been listening to them here and there and I'm like, man, I was angry. I just preached a little bit angry. Like I would see sin either in myself or in the people in our church. And I, 
and I came up here ready to kind of throw some punches. And you can hear it in the tone of my voice. You can hear it in how fast I talk and, and some of the sentences that I would share. I just, there was like this anger inside of me. And I, I, God has really changed my heart a lot in the last five years or so. And it's not that I don't hate sin any less. I certainly hope that I don't. But I don't feel like I have such an ax to grind anymore. I don't feel like I want to throw punches. I, I feel like a fellow traveler on this journey to spiritual maturity in Christ. And, and I'm going to position myself in this, for the, for the rest of this little portion of our time in Ephesians, as, as just this gracious fellow traveler who also was born with some pleonexia, who is also inclined to run back into that prison, who is also inclined to go drink salt water. And because of the seat that I sit in, because I get to be the pastor of this church, my goal for the next five weeks is try to usher all of us into a, a more mature life in Christ. I, I know about some jumpsuits that people are wearing. And I just, I want to try to lead us out of those. I want to get all of us to take those off and, and to put on our new clothes and say, I'm in Christ and that's not changing, and I'm going forward. But I'm doing it from, from a far more gracious place than I would have done it as a 31-year-old. I don't know. And so I just want you to hear my heart on that, that the next five weeks, I'm just going to kind of lay out before us as a group together, hey, these are some ways that we can grow. These are some ways that we can change so that our life is noticeably different than our lives before we were Christians. And, and the, the question, I mean, the, the last verse up there, Sam, will you just throw that last verse up there one more time? We were created to be like God in true holiness, in true set-apartness. I don't know of a better testimony than a holy life that would bring someone into the life that is in Christ. And so I'm just going to ask all of us to consider the question this week, before you come back next week, last question of the day. Do you really believe God's way is better? Do you really believe that his way is better? Then I'm going to prepare to kind of serve that up. And if you believe that God's way is better, I hope that together we would do that and do what we were created to do to be holy and set apart and have a new lifestyle because we've been given new life. Will you pray with me? God, I, I repent of the arrogance that I have preached with in the past and I pray over the next few weeks, Father, that you would keep me away from having that sort of go in there and tell them how it is mentality. Father, would you lead us all to take off our jumpsuits, to put on our new clothes, to walk out of that prison, to put our hand up and say, I don't drink salt water anymore. It's not going to quench my thirst. Father, would you lead us into maturity in Christ? 
there's no way we're going to be able to do it once without your help, let alone continue in it. Lord, this week, would you just convince us that your way is better? Would you help us to humble ourselves and to come in here and say, God, your way is better. What do you want me to do? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.